Okay, if you would turn to First Peter. First Peter. While you're turning there, just tell you to appreciate prayers and all. We had a good time this weekend and last couple of days, and tried to do some swimming and did some swimming and uh, went to the zoo and stockyards in Fort Worth, and so it was it was a good time. Went to Sunday morning. We were at the Village Church in uh, in uh, Flower Mound, Texas. And some, you know, some of you have heard me mention Matt Chandler. Uh, he's on our prayer list because he he had cancer. Um, he's that's where he pastors the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas. So we were there Sunday morning. He was not there, but uh, we were, and several thousand other people. So we had a good time. Big church, yeah, yeah. In fact, they, that was just one campus. They have that same one church. They have like four or five campuses because uh, it's like seven or eight thousand people. Um, but uh, that, so that's the that's the I guess you could say the main campus or the original one or whatever. That's where he's at. He's at normally. But uh, yeah, big church and mostly twenty um, somethings and thirty something year olds. So, <laughs> so not not all, but 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 that's probably the biggest percentage. All right, I'm going to look at First Peter. Um, well, I'm going to talk a little bit about First Peter first about the about the kind of a running theme here. But we're going to be looking at chapter three uh, primarily. A couple things here and finish up tonight. Um, the the series we've been doing on the grace-filled life. And so I, the last couple times we talked about marriage, and, and I'm still on that, and that's what we're going to uh, finish with. And that's intentional, by the way, because really what we've, what we've been talking about all along here is how to be graceful uh, in, our, in our living as Christians in this world. And I've tried to put a lot of emphasis on um, how that plays out relationally, because that, that is extremely important. Um, well, that's, that's rubber meets the road, you know, Christianity. Christianity is lived out relationally, I and mean, there's no such thing as uh, non-relational Christianity. Uh, good evening. So, so, um, so like I say, I've, I've, I've intentionally you know, wound up here. We've talked about other relationships, but marriage... Is uh, if if you are married, and of course if you're not married, it's a different little different situation. But if you if you are married, um, then this is going to be like the the primary um, relationship in which um, Christianity plays out. If you're not married, and I know we got uh, at least one here tonight that's not married. Then um, still, there's much to uh, there's there's much that's applicable here. In fact, let me say this before we even get to the um, what Peter says. Is, are expected of wives and husbands. Um, when I when I read like in Ephesians uh, or here in First Peter, when I read instructions for wives, um, I try to pay close attention to that because um, instead of just thinking, well, you know, that's for the wife, and I'm not a wife. Because when I see what pleases the Lord, when the Lord tells us what pleases Him in a wife. Uh, as part of the bride of Christ, I want to know what pleases Him. So anytime you see in the Scripture um, good examples of a wife 
there's probably some application there for the church, um, just in a, in a more general sense, but, but still good application because we are the bride of Christ. So when he says something's pleasing to him in a, in a, in a wife, in a bride, that ought to get our attention. All right, so, uh, so if you're a single Christian, then, see, that's still applicable because you're, you're married to Christ. And so you can kind of take some principles away uh, from, from those instructions. All right, and certainly this first part you can too. I'll give you a little, just a little bit of a running uh, thing that I was picking up on here. And it's, it, of course, what we've been talking about, being, being grace-filled. But this, this word grace, and there's a couple different forms of it used here, but it, it's, it's running through um, Peter's letter here. And the idea of, of being graced, verb, being great, God gracing us, or being gracious, um, and it's in, and it's specifically in the context. So I can say this a couple of ways. Um, relationally, of course, as I said a moment ago, all of Christianity is. So you got to you got to always think in terms of relationships. Um, so how to be gracious or graceful in relationships? Um, what kind of grace to pray for, and what kind of grace to exhibit um, in relationships? Uh, but and also specifically here, when P- Peter's um, the context that he's putting it in is suffering in this world, or you'll see in a moment, suffering unjustly in this world. And what he's what he's saying is that that Christians, uh, even when we we're to always be gracious. Let me just kind of paraphrase it here. We're to always be gracious, and then Peter goes so far as to say even when we are suffering unjustly, we are to be gracious. So number one, we're just to be gracious in all of our relationships. Number two, we're, we're to be gracious even when we're suffering. And I don't just mean... It um, doesn't, doesn't have to be something uh, like, like uh, uh, some severe form of persecution or even illness like cancer, but, but even just the day-to-day hardships and trials, in fact, trials, that, that term gets used here, trials that we go through, we're to be gracious. We're to be gracious in general, in all of our relationships. We're to be gracious even in the midst of trials and suffering. And then Peter's going to even go so far as to say, we're to be gracious even while suffering unjustly. So not just... Um, um, when we suffer um, because we've done something wrong, because sometimes we do suffer because we've done something wrong, um, but we're to be um, even more, even more so when when we are, are suffer when we've done good. You'll see that here in, in a few minutes. So sometimes you know you you kind of uh, do everything right, so to speak, and you still you still suffer. You know, you think about the examples we've been seeing in the Book of Acts where. Paul goes in, and he does, he does nothing wrong. He doesn't go into cities to harm people. He doesn't go into cities to stir up um, mobs or anything like that. He just goes in um, proclaiming the gospel because he wants these people to be delivered from sin, and he wants them to know Christ. And so he's doing good. He goes about doing good, just mimicking Jesus. Jesus went about doing good. Paul goes about doing good. Peter goes about doing good. And what do we find? They, they suffer for doing good. So, so Peter, and we read uh, in the earlier chapters of Acts, we read about Peter's experiences. Peter speaks from experience here. 
when he tells us these things. So let me just let me just uh, give you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about seven verses here that mention specifically this term grace. And I just kind of kind of show you that the concept is running through here. First of all, Peter prays for his um, readers in verse two that grace may be multiplied to you. Now, I, you know, I never. We should never take these things like it's just some kind of meaningless greeting. Um, but it is a greeting. Verse, the last part of verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's, he's saying this to, to his readers. But, it's also a petition. It's a prayer. It's a desire of his um, that this grace that he's about to talk about in this letter will actually be operative in their in their life that that it that God's grace will be multiplied to them so that they can live graciously in this world. And I don't know why I'm saying they because it includes us, but you going to say something? Oh, I thought you had your hand kind of half halfway. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, no problem. No problem. I just didn't want to miss you cuz I'm I can do that. <laughs> I don't mean to. All right. So so Peter prays for his readers that grace be multiplied. And then verse 10, he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. Okay, I know I'm, 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 we're diving in the middle of a thought here, but, but when you just read that verse, what grace do you think he's talking about? He says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. So, what grace... That is to be ours as he's talking about. Salvation, yeah, the gospel, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying the prophets of old would prophesy about these things, and, and uh, they, but some of, the, some of the things they prophesied about were meant for us. You know, they, they would be fulfilled in, in our time, in the latter days. And so um, he says it this way again, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. It kind of gives the, uh, the uh, impression that they were, they were fascinated with these things. You, you know, you, you think about uh, uh, prophecies of, of old, you know, what God, like, like Joel 2 that Peter quotes in, in Acts chapter 2. When Joel prophesies those things, he's concerning the end times. He says in the latter days, God will pour out of His Spirit. So, you know, that had to um, just fascinate him. And, and was something that he would have longed to see, but he was not going to to uh, to live to see on this earth. So, so it, it, he, Peter's saying they looked carefully. That, in other words, they 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 searched um, the scriptures that they had and and um, and sought God, desiring to to look into these things. All right, the grace, the grace, and that I think again is specifically referring to the gospel. All right, so verse 13, still in chapter 1. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now he's talking about grace that you and I are going to experience and receive when Christ returns at the last day. Um, in other words, the, the completion, 
the fullness of our salvation is going to be realized at that point. So, um, and by the way, again, remember this is in the context of suffering. I was just looking at this phrase. And you set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, again, in order to live gracefully in this life, we've got to be looking to the reward, like the writer of Hebrews says. Looking for the grace that is going to be revealed when Christ returns as a, uh, as a, uh, as a motivator, as, as, a, uh, as an assurance. You know, God's, God's going to grace us and get us through all the way to the end and then grace us in completing our salvation. Chapter 2, verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. Alright, now he's given some, some of this rubber meets the road um, practical instruction that I was talking about. So look, look at verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. This is grace. For this is a grace. I mean, literally, the, the, the term, the word thing there is added. Um, because in English, that would look kind of odd to just say, for this is a grace. But, and so it's a, it's a gracious thing. But it's the term grace. For this is a grace. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Alright, remember back in um, chapter 1, verse 13. Let's see. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, while you're going through things in this world, set your hope on the grace that's coming. Here, he's saying in chapter 2, verse 9, chapter 2, verse 19, while you're going through these things, through things in this world, to be mindful, mindful of God. Similar, similar idea. And, and that's the theme all the way through here. In order to, to live gracefully in this life, you, you, you've got to go through the stuff that you go through in this world, um, being mindful of God. So, like in the example that he gives here, let's say you got a uh, uh, here it's slave and master, but let's just make it employee and employer. Let's just say you got an employer that is just totally unreasonable, and and you and you know you try to do everything right, and your employer just gives you a hard time anyway. Well, Peter's saying um, you still got the responsibility to respond gracefully. Being a, being a, a, you know, living godly, being a godly example, being a witness. And the way to do that is to be mindful of God. And this is a, a grace. This is a grace. Again, verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Alright, then 410. 
I love this one because of the language here. 410. It's a long introduction. But when you get to talking about grace, I mean, it's hard to... <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> I'm telling you, we need grace, 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 and more grace. And God provides. Verse 10, chapter 4. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So here he's talking about how God graces us with gifts and and how we are to use them for the edification of the body. So, um, and, he, and he gives some examples there. Um, so he says this this is to be used to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, here's the, here's the language that I like. God's varied grace. Varied grace. Or it could, you could say, um, the, the idea here is like multifaceted. God's multi, we want to be good stewards with God's multifaceted grace. So, so it, it, when God supplies grace, it is, He's got grace for every, every need that we, that we encounter. He's got grace, um, for us, you know, to us, and through us for, for every situation that we encounter. Alright? That's God's varied grace. I mean, it's not like it's, it's, uh, you know, just monotone or monochrome. You know, it's it's multifaceted grace, amazing grace. All right, and I think that's a, I think Peter does that. And he as a as a direct. Um, I think that correlates with his his talk about uh, various trials. Let's see, where is that? Somebody show me, tell me that verse real quick. Don't think it's strange when you. I was just looking at it. Chapter one, verse six. He uses the same word here. It's translated slightly different. Um, In this you rejoice, chapter one, verse six. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So while while you're in this world, that's what he means by uh, a, a little while, essentially. In, in other words, it's temporary. We, we we go through trouble and trials and persecutions here, but it's temporary. It's for a little while. For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And then you get over to chapter four, verse ten, and he's talking about God's varied grace. So it just seems to me he's he's communicating to us. That God's grace is sufficient for everything that we face. Various trials, there's varied grace to, to meet those various trials. That's good news. Alright, um, chapter 5, I'll give you two more here on, on the word grace. Chapter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, and there it is again, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The God of all grace. There he refers to God as the God of all grace. 
So we encounter various trials, but God has varied grace. Um, so, so His grace is sufficient for any trial that you, that you are confronted with. And He is the God of all grace. And then verse 12, here Peter's closing out the letter. In verse 12 he says, By Silvanus, um, that's, by the way, that's, Silas, that's the same, that's the same individual as Silas we've been talking about in, uh, in Acts. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Now that, um, Sums up everything he's saying in the letter. You know, he's talking about you're, you're gonna you meet various trials, and so what what you've got to do in these trials and in this suffering, even when it's unjust suffering, is go through it gracefully. And the God of all grace, whose grace is varied grace, um, His grace is sufficient to enable you to go through these trials gracefully so that you respond properly. And this is, in other words, that whole message, grace to suffer even when suffering unjustly, grace to suffer for a little while in this world, grace in relationships in this world. That whole message that Peter's talking about in this book is the true grace. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So what Peter's doing is saying, this is how we're to live. This is how we're to live. God gives us grace. This world is not going to, you know, it's not intended to be rosy. And God grants grace. We, we have trials and persecutions in this world. And God grants grace. And, uh, and, and so, um, this is the true grace of God. He's, in fact, Peter reminds us a couple of times here, and I pointed out a couple, um, that when Christ returns, you know, we're, to, we're to be mindful of Him because when, when He returns, then uh, we're, we're going to be graced again with, with our final, um, with, with the completion of our salvation. All right, now, what does all of that have to do with marriage? Well, a lot. <laughs> a lot. Because marriage is one of the relationships of where that plays out. And um, for, again, for married people, it's going to be the primary one. The primary one. I was looking earlier at uh, John Calvin's comments here. And I'll, uh, I'll probably share a couple of these as we go. But... Uh, well, I'll come back to that. Let's let's read through some of this. Now, now let me. Here, here's where we're going. All right, we're going to verse um, verses one through seven, chapter three. The first few verses, Peter's instruction to wives, and then you get down to chapter seven. It's likewise husbands. So notice um, that term both times. In other words, you, you, you get to verse 7 and you see likewise husbands. And you know, okay, now, uh, essentially what Peter is saying, here I've been, I've been telling wives how they're to act. Now, likewise, you husbands, here's how 
you're to act. And there's some similarities. That's why he says likewise. But what about verse 1? Because he starts out with the wives there too. Likewise, wives. Well, notice what he says. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Okay, what, what's he likening that to? Like, he says likewise. Well, let's back up to verse 13. Boy, it's, it's hard to scare. There's so much of this is good, it's just hard to pick and choose. But verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. So essentially what he's saying there is that Christians are to be subject to governmental authorities. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good... Now, here's, here again, this, this key concept of living graciously, living Christ-like. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Similar to what we read earlier about being mindful of God... Living as servants of God. Honor, verse 17, that's also going to be a key word when we get down to the marriage part. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So see, he's talking about a life of subjection to the the proper authorities and uh, a life of graciousness to all. Honor everyone, he says. Honor... And, and this, all this goes together. You know, be subject, honor, all, fear God. In other words, this is how, this is how it plays out. This is how the fear of God plays out, as a matter of fact. Honor the emperor. Verse 18. Servants, now he starts to, to give some specific examples. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. And he anticipates objections there. He said, wait a minute. My master is horrible. He's unreasonable. Like I say, we could, we could translate it to our day, employer, employee. We could say, wait a minute, Peter. You don't know my employer. My employer is, is, is just, I, I can't submit to such an unreasonable person. No, Peter says, be subject to them, to... Not only to the good, that is, not only to those who are good to you and gentle to you, but also to the unjust. Peter says, be subject to the unjust. And if you, and if you apply that to the, um, the governmental authorities back, that he speaks of back in verse 13, um, and, and it does apply, be subject even to those who are, who are over us in the government who are unjust. That's our responsibility as Christians. Insofar as... Um, it does not cause us to compromise the truth. You know, when, when the government, or anybody else for that matter, tells us, you must do, you know, ABC, and ABC contradicts the Word of God, okay, then we have to draw a line. But up to that point, we've got to live in subjection. So if the government says, for example, you cannot preach the gospel, you know, that's what they did with Peter and John back in Acts 3, you, you cannot speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Then we've got to respond like Peter did and, 
and say, no, it's, it's, it's better that we obey God rather than men. But up to that point, un- until we are required to compromise the truth, we, we've got to be in subjection. So uh, we don't, I don't like paying taxes, but that's part of being in subjection to the government. <laughs> so, so like it or not, uh, I, I can do it, and I can do it being mindful of God, and, and in that sense, I can do it cheerfully, right? You know, just just uh, being an obedient, uh, not only obedient to my government, but, but in being obedient to the government, I can be uh, living in obedience to God by paying my taxes. That's just one example. All right, so servants, you're to be subject to your own masters. And then he says, uh, not, only, not, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this, verse 19, for this is... A gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And notice he puts that little phrase in there, being mindful of God. You're not doing it without purpose and you're not doing it without any hope. You're doing it being mindful of God, knowing that you're going to be rewarded and also that you know, understanding that you want to be a witness to those who are treating you unjustly. Verse 20, For what credit is it when you, if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing. There he says it again. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to, you, for, for to this you have been called. Note that. For to this you have been called. That is, we have been called to suffer unjustly. And in the midst of that, still be subject to those who are treating us unjustly. And in the sight of God, this is a grace. It's a gracious thing. God is pleased with that. For to this you have been called. Why? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. So, so Peter's saying this is part of being Christ-like in the world. And how did... Uh, well, first of all, Christ suffered. He suffered in this world. How did He suffer? He suffered graciously. He suffered with grace. No um, responding in kind, right? He suffered graciously. In fact, he goes on to talk about that. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. Verse 22, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Notice that. Remember the phrase, being mindful of God? Here's, here you see Christ setting that example. He, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That is, he entrusted himself to the Father. He, he suffered humility and persecution at the hands of men, entrusting himself to the just judge, God. And Peter's saying that's what we're to do. 
Verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, we had to go through all that and get back to likewise. See, Peter's talking about being in subjection. Even when it means suffering unjustly. Being gracious even when the people don't deserve grace. That's an interesting thing anyway about being gracious. Um, if they deserved it, then uh, it, it wouldn't exactly be gracious for, for me to respond in a gracious manner, right? Or honor. You know, we, we talked about the word honor. You're going to see that again, pop up again. Honor. Honor is not uh, re- really something deserved. Honor is something given. You, you give honor. Usually we tend to think of it the other way. We tend to think of it on the side of the person who's receiving the honor, and we think, you know, well, they either deserve it or they don't. No, 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 no. When the, when the Scripture commands us to give honor, it's not it's not commanding the recipient; it's commanding the the one that's giving, and it's and it's saying you give honor. Honor is something given. Likewise, here we go. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So, in other words, he's saying when he says likewise, he says just like what I just described up above. In other words, it's not always going to be pretty. It's not always going to be neat. And clean. It's not always going to be rosy, but be subject. Why? Because it's a gracious thing in the sight of the Lord. You do it just like a servant to his master, just like a, um, um, Christ did with those who persecuted him. You do it mindful of God. So, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that, even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So Peter's saying, even if you're in a situation, now he's going back to, it's kind of like with the, with the slave and the master. The slave can say, well, my master's mean. Well, Peter's saying, now here you might have a case where a wife has an unbelieving husband. So, what about that? What about if their, her husband's not even a believer? Should she be in subjection? Peter's saying, yes. And there's purpose behind it. Of course, number one is, it's for the glory of God. You want to glorify God in, in all that we do by being gracious. But also, we want to seek that person's salvation. So, he says, even if some do not obey the Word, they may be won without a Word by the conduct of their wives. So, he's saying, your, your conduct may be the very thing that would win them over to Christ. When they see, verse 2, um, yeah, verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, underline that like four or five times. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. Because like I said, when you, when you see something that God says, you know, this is, this is pleasing to me and a wife then even if you're a man, you want to acknowledge that, uh, you know, take note of that, because we are part of the bride of Christ. So in other words, God likes respectful and pure conduct. 
That's what he likes to see in his bride. He likes to see conduct that might win people without a word. That's not to say that we don't preach, by the way. But, you know, sometimes you actually can't for some reason or another. So, your conduct is what they have uh, to go on. He goes on. Verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, and and the clothing uh, the clothing you wear. Let, let me let me throw out a question here. Maybe one of these uh, one of the ladies want to answer here. When you see that term adorning, do not let your adorning be external. What are we talking about there? Goodness and beauty, right? Beauty. In fact, the the term there in other places is translated world. Most <clears throat> it's the term cosmos, like John three sixteen. For God so loved the cosmos. That he gave his only begotten son. That's the same word there. Let your cosmos. It's where we get our word cosmetics. And, and it has the idea of, of uh, like, you know, order, beauty. Um, Miss Linda said. So, yeah, that's the idea there. Let your, let your you could say, uh, for explanatory purposes, you could say something like beauty. Um, what What makes you... Desirable. What makes you beautiful? And, and we often think in those terms uh, when, we, when we think of a bride, don't we? Especially on the wedding day. You know, we do the whole uh, the thing with the, with, the, with the dress and the veil and all that. So, to, so that when they come through the door, it's supposed to have that wow factor, right? Well, Peter's saying that shouldn't be coming from the outward stuff, you know, the apparel. That should be coming from the inward conduct. That's, that's where the wow factor ought to be. Ought to be uh, coming from your your conduct your good conduct so let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart see it's internal with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious again notice that ladies first of all because he's who he's speaking to wives Notice that it should be the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. That's how wives are instructed to be. Now, again, like I said earlier, men, we can take notice of that too because if this is very precious to God, then, then this is what pleases Him in His bride. And, and of course it is. I mean, we know that from other passages of Scripture as well. Um, Jesus says, for example, the meek shall inherit the land. Now, the idea there is the covenant promises. You know, the, 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 the land in the Old Testament was, uh, that's what uh, the, the covenant was, that they would be given the land, right? Enter the land. If you be willing and obedient, Isaiah says, um, you know, then, then you'll inherit the land. The meek shall inherit the land. God loves that. He, he, that is precious to Him, Peter says. Gentle and quiet spirit, which in the, God's sight is very precious. That's just the opposite of, of proud, arrogant, you know, that kind of thing. For, for this is how, verse 5, for, he's going to give him an example now. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God, notice that again, it's just like being mindful of God, or Jesus entrusting Himself to the one who judges justly, 
these, these women of old who hoped in God, that is, they were mindful of God, this is how they used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So, Peter gives uh, um, Sarah as an example here of, of godliness, you know, graciousness. I'm trying to hurry here. We're running out of time quickly. But yeah, the main thing is there, let your, let your beauty be that of the, the inward man. A gentle and a quiet spirit. The hidden person of the heart. Your beauty is coming from the hidden person of the heart. It's manifest in a gentle and quiet spirit. Rather than your, be- your beauty being outward apparel, which manifests in all of the things he describes here. Now, he's not, I, I don't think, by the way, just to be clear, he's not saying that you should not wear jewelry um, or, or, or you should not braid your hair. In fact, if you look at the wording, do not let your adorning be external, verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Um, he's meaning that not that you shouldn't put those things on. Obviously, obviously, you need to wear clothing, okay, number one. Um, and, and then you may want to braid your hair and you may want to wear jewelry. But don't let those things um, define your beauty. It should be coming from the hidden person of the heart. I and mean, that's where the real beauty is. Okay, verse 7. Likewise, here we go again. Likewise, so we had instruction for the wives, now the husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor. There's that term again. Women are to honor their husbands. Now he's saying um, husbands are to honor their wives. It, it, it plays out a little differently, but it's honor nonetheless. So we're to have mutual respect. Okay, we can say it that way. Mutual respect, mutual honor. One toward the other. And again, remember, that's something given. You can say, well, my spouse doesn't act right. Doesn't deserve to be honored. Well, Peter's not... He's talking to us. Again, he's not talking about how... It's not dependent on how they act. He does talk about how they act, but it's not dependent on, on how they act. That's his whole purpose in saying all these things about being treated unjustly. We're still to respond in a gracious manner. And if we do, Peter says, that is a gracious thing in the eyes of the Lord. And it's a precious thing, you know, like the women have a, a gentle and quiet spirit, for in God's sight it is very precious. So when we as Christians respond, even when treated unjustly, even by our spouses, uh, we respond gracefully. That's a gracious thing to God. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's a a, a, a lot there, but let me just try to, since we're out of time, try to do this quickly. Um, one one of the quotes I wanted to give you from Calvin is this, <clears throat> and he's specifically referring to. Um, 
the term honor here. Likewise, husbands, uh, live with your wives in an understanding way. Well, I'll give you at least two of them here. First, he says, from husbands he requires prudence. For dominion over their wives is not given them except on this condition that they exercise authority prudently. So he's saying that God is demanding that we, that we husbands act wisely, prudently toward our wives. That's what Peter's saying. Live with them, dwell with them um, in an understanding way or according to knowledge. Um, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. All right, for nothing, Calvin, Calvin goes on to say, for nothing destroys the friendship of life more than contempt. Nor can we really love any but those whom we esteem. For love must be connected with respect. Now, we're commanded to love our spouses. We're commanded to honor our spouses. Calvin's saying, um, so then you've got to, you have to esteem them in order to do that. And, and, and contempt is not going to um, generate um, the kind of love and res- mutual respect that, um, that Peter's, well, that God is commanding here. Now, again, in reference to the word honor, Calvin says, It is evident, now hear what he says here, It is evident that God is despised in His gifts except we honor those on whom He has conferred any excellency. Alright, translate that. Well, to not do what God tells us to do is to despise God, the giver. God, You told me to honor my wife. Or God, You told me to honor my husband, but I can't. Well, then what you're really doing is despising God. That's, that's what he's saying. And that's, that's certainly true. And you, and you see that um, stated, I don't know how many times, especially like in the Old Testament where the children of Israel would m- grumble and complain about certain things, you know, whether it be they didn't have meat or didn't have water or whatever it was, and, and uh, God would come back and say, you know, you, you, you're, you're testing me. You despise me. The problem's not that you don't have these other things because I, I'm the giver. And if I'm giving and you don't like what you got, then the bottom line is you're despising me. And if I'm commanding something, like in this case, honor your, your, your wives. Be, wives be subject, subject to your husband. If I'm commanding something and you refuse to do that, then you're really despising me. So I think Calvin's dead on there. Alright, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And, and we gotta get this in, although quickly. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. <clears throat> now, I don't think I gave you that one earlier, it's because we were getting, we were gonna to get to it here. Term grace there. We are heirs together. Husband, husband, wife, we are heirs together of the grace of life. God has, and there's probably many ways you can look at this, God has graced us with life. So in other words, we're heirs together of the grace of life. That is the, 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 the life that God has blessed us with. He's, he's not done it, you know, 
Like, here, you husband, here, you wife, I give you this, I give... No, we're one, right? Remember that? We talked about that the last couple of sessions. Man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. That's very strong language there. I used to work with a guy doing foundation repair. He's also a, a, a preacher. He was a pastor at the time, Mike Harris. <clears throat> and and we, uh, we would dig in this old clay, you know. Of course, he, he had, a, had a lot more experience with it than I did. I worked for him for a short time. But that's how he loved to, to describe that. Because <laughs> that clay, when, when we pull that auger up out of the ground, uh, we had to beat it off with shovel. Had to beat that clay off with shovels because it it cleaved it or whatever the past tense of cleave is. It cleaved or clove or clave or cleaved or whatever it did. But cleave, I mean, it was on there and it was on there strong. And, and that's the way God said it is with husband and wife. Man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and guess what? Two become one. And there there are no more two. Jesus said. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Because like we said last time, one and one equals one. But one split in half does not equal two again. It's two halves. You're, you're breaking a single unit. When, when husband and wife come together, they become one unit. One. And you break that up, you've broken a single unit. And that's why divorces are so destructive even on unbelievers. I mean, it's not just that Christians realize that. Talk to people who don't even know the Lord who go through divorces and, and they, can, they can tell you how, uh, how damaging it is. And, and that's because of the way that God has designed us. We're one flesh. As Christians, though, <clears throat> we understand that grace of God, that He has put us together in a single unit and that marriage is all about um, reflecting the relationship with Christ in the church. And so, he says, live, husbands, live with her according to knowledge. Or, the way it's worded here, um, showing honor to the woman as a weaker, uh, I'm sorry, understanding, live with her in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so um, we're, we're, we receive together God's graces with life. He, he, he graces us in life. That is, He graces us in various ways like we already talked about. And, and that's a joint thing because we're one unit before God. So we're heirs together of the grace of life. And then this final word, Peter says, Do this, husbands, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I have seen some exegetical, or heard, I guess I should say heard. I have heard some exegetical gymnastics to get out of this one. But it says what it says. And sometimes people say, well, you know, I just don't believe that God was going to base on, on my conduct. Look, Peter says, do these things so that, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And the idea is, the implication is, that if we refuse to obey God in these things, our prayers are hindered. 
Again, John Calvin. I'm almost done here. John Calvin says, For God cannot be rightly called upon unless our minds be calm and peaceable. Among strifes and contentions, there is no place for prayer. Peter indeed addresses the husband and the wife when he bids them to be at peace with one another so that they might, so that they might with one mind pray to God. So, Peter says, do these things so that your prayers are not hindered. And again, just to sum it all up, the idea is live graceful. Graceful in every relationship for the glory of God, for our own good, and for the good of those that we are relating to in, in whatever relationship it is. It could be husband and wife, it could be co-workers, it could be employee, employer, it could be believer, unbeliever, you know, just somebody we just know, we met, someone. Whatever the relationship is, pray for grace to be full of grace. Last word on that. Chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you, are, uh, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Now, he's speaking to everybody. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. All right. Any questions or comments? His commentary on First Peter. Calvin's commentaries. It's a, it's a whole series. He didn't do the whole Bible. He didn't complete, complete uh, but he did several books of the Bible. All right. Amen. That's very good. Yeah. You know, and I think, and there are two things that work there. I think because because I think Peter's words. I mean, this is the word of God. So so Peter's taking it a step further. Because he's not really going on feelings, although that's obviously true for for somebody who's uh, who's um, somewhat sensitive. But but he doesn't say you'll know this is happening because you feel you don't feel right. He's just saying this is the way it is. So I mean, you you may not even realize that your prayers are being hindered, but your prayers are being hindered because that's what God says. So, so we, if, I mean, in other words, if we're not relating properly as husband and wife, and more specifically, husbands to wives, because that's, that's the context he says it in. If husbands aren't properly honoring their wives, loving their wives. And Peter says, by implication, your prayers are hindered. So, I, I, and I think most of the time, what you were saying would be exactly right. You, a lot of times we know that. Because because the, the 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 tension and the contention, I mean we we uh, we we understand that uh, you know, something isn't right here. But we don't we don't have the peace that we ought to have. But we can also be deceived, you know. And be, being human beings, we uh, we are prone to justify ourselves. So we could say, well, you know what? I just I feel I feel fine about it. God hears my prayers. God does, you know. God's gracious to me. Well, Peter says he resists the proud. And gives grace to the humble, and he implies that your prayers <coughs> are hindered 
if you uh, so I, I don't know in what you might say well, well in exactly what area all you know how's, how are my prayers hindered I don't know he doesn't he doesn't go into detail but it ought to really disturb us that they would be hindered at all and uh, and so that we'd want to avoid that you know it's, it's kind of like you know you see a high voltage thing and it says you know touching this could lead to death you know and you you don't say well I wonder if that's always the case you know <laughs> no no I'd rather just you know, assume that it's always the case and, and stay away from it, you know. I'm not that adventurous, but... All right. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word and thank You for Your grace, Lord. You, you command, uh, Lord, and You grant grace uh, so that we can obey Your commands. And Father, uh, You told us to live godly in this world and You've given us the reasons, even though You, you owe us no explanation. Um, but yet, Lord, you've, you've uh, instructed us to be concerned for those who are lost and desire to live in such a way that uh, might communicate the gospel to them uh, through word and through conduct. And, Lord, um, you, you, you bless us. You bless us to do that. You grace us to do that. You grace us in these relationships that we're talking about, such as the marital relationship and other relationships that we're in as well with different people. Lord, we thank you for that, and we do pray, Lord, that you that you just trusting that you just continue to pour out your grace and make us sensitive um, to your to your grace. Make us sensitive to your your purpose for us to be graceful in this world and to do what's pleasing to you. And through it all, may you be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.